Thank you for joining us at the NEA Podcast, a podcast designed to help develop and inspire nonprofit leaders. Thank you for joining us. Here's your host, Brad Lebowski, CEO of NEA or Nonprofit Engagement Advisors. Welcome back to the NEA Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Lebowski, a CEO of uh, Nonprofit Engagement Advisors. And today we have the honor of speaking to Art Ochoa. He is the uh, Senior Vice President of Advancement and Chief Advancement Officer for Cedar sinai Art, thank you so much for being here. Uh, really appreciate it. I know you're- Thanks, being- Brad. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much. So describe your nonprofit's mission and who you serve. Cedar sinai uh, has served the region of Los Angeles since 1902, and it is one of Los Angeles's oldest nonprofit organizations. And in fact, I was looking at recently at a, at a history of the region, and uh, I think there were only two or three extant exempt organizations that are older than Cedar sinai one of them uh, being the, uh, the Jewish Federation, the other being USC. Wow. Uh, and, I, and I'm not sure that, uh, that there is any uh, organization that is still in existence that's uh, other than those two that's older than Cedar sinai And, you know, our roots go back to the east side of town in, in Angelino Heights, where we were essentially a 16-bed tuberculosis hospice. And from that, uh, we moved west and became this uh, world-class academic health system. And that's a remarkable story and a remarkable journey in its own right. But Cedar sinai from a mission perspective, is a, is a nonprofit independent uh, healthcare organization that focuses on improving the health status of our community. And the definition of community has gotten larger as we've gotten larger. And we think of ourselves as not only taking care of the region, but in many cases, taking care of, of people from all over the world. Uh, we do that by focusing on, on four things, clinical care, which is first and foremost, research, teaching not only physicians in the next generation of physicians, but also nurses and other allied health professionals. We're a degree granting institution. We offer PhDs in uh, clinical research and laboratory science. Uh, and the fourth leg of our mission, which is critical and near and dear to my heart, because I'm responsible for a large part of it and our strategy related to that, which is uh, our community service and community engagement, community benefit work. And all of that happens in the context of the, the Judaic tradition and history of Cedar sinai which today is an organization that, uh, that uh, has plenty of non-Jews uh, working at it in, uh, in, in all levels, uh, but uh, uh, retains, we believe, the, the, our, core, our core Jewish values and our core Jewish tradition. I think that's excellent. And um, anybody should know the incredible amount of work you do in the community as an organization. Um, and if they don't, they should. Uh, why is your nonprofit more relevant now than ever before? Well, at the time you and I are talking, uh, and perhaps this podcast will live for a long time, so people will be uh, will, will need this sort of historical uh, and temporal reference and, and footnote. We're we're still in the midst of the COVID crisis, and so uh, when 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 one is in a global pandemic, healthcare organizations tend to uh, they're, it's self evident. Uh, their relevancy to the community. 
Uh, and so, you know, we are, we are certainly, I think, more relevant than ever because we have become a place where not only uh, are we treating COVID patients and are we providing patient and community education around infection control and around the pandemic, but we're, we're, we're providing vaccine uh, and hope that the supply gets uh, greater so that we can provide, frankly, even more, uh, more vaccine to our patients and to the, to the community. But we're also engaged in research uh, around, uh, not only around uh, COVID and the virus itself, but uh, around things like improving uh, outcomes and treatment of COVID patients. We were the first place to report the, the, the successful clinical use of remdesivir uh, when you think back, you know, in the early days of the pandemic, sure. uh, and uh, there have been so many other so many other things that that we're doing. And 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 the last thing I'll say about our relevance today uh, uh, is that that I'm in so many conversations with people in the community, with supporters of Cedar Sinai, and frankly, people all over the world who support Cedar Sinai, who say to me. As I've been thinking about it, as I've had time on my hands to reflect on my life and on my values, and I think about what's important to me uh, from a philanthropic standpoint, supporting healthcare in general and healthcare and health equity in particular is more important to me than ever. And, and more people are telling me this than, than ever before. So I, I will say that not only do I think we're more important uh, than ever before in the midst of this pandemic, I think that the broader community is also, many people in the broader community are also telling us they think so too, which is gratifying. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was born and raised in Los Angeles. I know a couple of health systems out there, but I don't know of any health system that has invested so much time and in, in depth of reach than Cedars as it relates to just out there in the community being engaged. And I would have to think that outreach, which a lot of health institutions don't do, let alone to your depth, would also help during a pandemic because you have access to not only underserved communities, but at-risk communities that you can engage preventatively um, where other health institutions don't have that advantage. I think that's a really insightful uh, question, uh, Brad, and I think you're, you're exactly right about that. And I'll give you a simple example. Uh, when it became clear in the state that uh, the distribution mechanism for vaccine was changing from a county-based allocation to an allocation that was gonna be made at the state level through the third-party administrator of Blue Shield, one of the things that, uh, that, that Blue Shield made clear is that as they were looking for uh, applications from hospitals and health, they were, they were, as they were creating the process for hospitals and health systems to apply to them for vaccine, one of the things that they were looking to see was partnerships with community-based organizations in terms of the distribution of vaccine and education in the community. And, and the good news is we had the ability for, uh, because we had these pre-existing relationships that were not you know, months old, days old, months old, even years old, they were decades old. Um, that we could go, you know, credibly, authentically, genuinely to these partners and, uh, you know, lift these partnerships up and bring them forward uh, in that process. Uh, as uh, the colleague on my team and an executive on my team, our vice president for, uh, for community engagement said to me, 
you know, reminds me of the old proverb, you know, you don't, uh, you, you, you dig a well when you're not thirsty right. and, or before you're thirsty. And I yeah. think that that's, that's exactly the, been the case for us. Well, I think that's excellent and congratulations on that. Tell us what keeps you up at night? Well, I'm actually an excellent sleeper. So uh, what, I, what keeps me up, the only thing that, that literally keeps me up at night, and I think you might have just heard her barking in the background, uh, is uh, on, the, on, on rare occasion when my dog needs to go out in the middle of the night. Uh, last night happened to be one of those nights. So I was, so I was up in the middle of the night, but, but usually I, I sleep really quite well. Um, so figuratively, what keeps me up at night, um, there's a short-term and a long-term uh, answer to that. In the short-term, it's getting through this pandemic. It's, you know, worried about another surge. The, the surge that happened in December and January in Los Angeles was really bad, and it was really scary, and we got really close to being on, on crisis care standards, and, and that, you know, that would have been for, for clinical care. You know, that's when you get into the world of rationing and and you know, committees of people having to make yeah. some really difficult decisions about yeah, about who gets an ICU bed and the like. So, so, so that's one thing that really keeps me up at night in the short term. And, and thinking about how we're going to be able to get enough vaccine in the arms of people, particularly vulnerable people, in as qu as quickly and as equitably as possible. The longer term question, I think, um, is is the it is is the in my mind the more interesting one and 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 what i what i what keeps me up there figuratively is thinking about how cedar sinai can continue to uh serve uh, as many people as uh as who, who need our care not only this in this region but in the world beyond uh the the southern california region uh how we can do that uh, uh, in a way that is efficient, how we can do that in a way that uh, reduces uh, the cost and the burden in the healthcare system, uh, and how uh, we can do that uh, as equitably as possible with as diverse a workforce as possible. And you know, there's there's a lot to unpack there, and we sure. you know we're not going to have the time to do that's a graduate course in its own right, right? Um, but, but 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 all of that is is really what I uh, what I and my colleagues around the table and when we have our senior executive meetings, we spend time thinking about when we're not stressing out about a vaccine. No, I can absolutely understand that. There's a lot of pieces to that puzzle, um, and uh, just as a kind of a connection, uh, my dog too was up at three in the morning wanting to go out. Um, so the exact time my dog woke up. I can relate to that. And luckily, she has her own uh, RF frequency doggy door. So when her collar gets close, the door automatically opens. So I'm selfish. I get to be in bed and kind of wait for her to come back. I don't have to get up too much. So I live in the hills. I have a small dog and there are coyotes. So I, uh, I have to get go a protector. Yeah. 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 No, exactly. I get that. Um, I like to talk about emotional intelligence because so many times when you look at a job or responsibility, it's very easy to put a checklist together of education, experience, results, and a lot of people can tick those boxes. But what I'm more interested in is, is the, the why. Um, why. What part of your emotional intelligence do you use the most? So um, 
I apologize. I don't have the cheat. I remember there are five emotional intelligences. I don't have, or aspects of emotional intelligence. Right. I don't have all of them at my fingertips. I will tell you the one I use the most probably is self-awareness. Uh, I think that it is really uh, critical for leaders to, to be uh, really conscious uh, and deliberate about uh, their interactions with others, uh, about how, uh, how they communicate, um, how they interact with other people. You know, it's funny, I, I have always done something that until my, my longtime boss and, and friend and colleague, our, our, our long-serving CEO of Cedar sinai described it to me uh, in this shorthand as something he does every day. I had never thought about it as succinctly as he put it, but he, he always describes kind of playing the tapes back at the end of the day. And that's what I've always done. But again, sure. until he said, you know, I was playing the tapes back at the end of the day, I never, I never heard it um, so succinctly described. Uh, and, and I do at least once a day, spend time thinking about how I interacted with people during the course of the day, um, what I might've done differently, what I might've done better to be a better colleague, to be a better boss, uh, to be a better friend, um, uh, to, to communicate better, um, uh, to be a better representative of Cedar sinai uh, to be a better dad, to be a better husband, whatever it is. Um, I, I do spend time uh, uh, doing that. And so I think the cornerstone of self-awareness is introspection. Uh, and, uh, and, and that's a, that's a, a muscle just like kind of anything else. And you got to use it and you got to use it, um, uh, regularly, uh, in order to develop it and to maintain it. I think self-awareness is outstanding in terms of your reflections, but the one question I want to ask how do you how do you walk that line? Because there are leaders that will say ah, it's not good enough, and there's leaders that will say, "Okay, this is what I'm proud of. This is what I want to do better." There can be well, there's many variations, obviously, but those two main ones I see when it comes to self awareness is it's very common for people or a leader to say, "Don't recognize me. I'm still improving," and then there's the other leader that says kind of proud of what I did. These are the things I want to do yeah. better, but I really feel good about. So it's not this constant tear, so to speak. How do you yeah. walk that line? Yeah, you're right. And it is a tension. And, um, I, and I will tell you that, um, that I tend, so the, the oldest part of my job, I, I oversee three, three, three principal uh, 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 areas for Cedar Sun. I oversee development. Uh, which is all of our fundraising activity. I oversee marketing and communications for Cedar sinai and I oversee community engagement. So the oldest part of this job is the development part of the job. And I don't think that one is a successful, long-serving development executive um, if, uh, if they have the kind of personality where it needs to be all about them. Um, right. I, think that, I think that most successful development people are really, you know, they're really about uh, letting other people shine, advocating for others, uh, and uh, and and I think that that there's a lot of that in my personality. I'm a, a former uh, a practicing lawyer, uh, and uh, and I think that that's kind of consistent with with what we do in 
in, in law practice, which is represent uh, and advance sure. the interests of our client. So, so I'm comfortable doing that. Um, by the same token, I, I think it'd be, I'd be lying if I didn't say that, you know, that I've got an ego and everyone has an ego uh, sure. and, and it's nice to be recognized and appreciated sometimes. I just, I'm just of the personality where I don't, I don't, I don't need that every day. I don't, I, I, that's, I don't crave that in the way that some of, some people do and some of my colleagues do. And even when I am recognized, um, and you know, sometimes you know, handed an award or whatever it is. Um, one of the first things I will say is, you know, thank you, and you know, and then two other things follow very quickly. You know, I'm standing here because of this extraordinary team that really does all the work. And the other thing I will say is, and there is so much more to do. And and the there is so much more to do part is the acknowledgement. Not only is there more work actual, you know, blocking and tackling ahead to get done. Right. But there's so much more self-work that needs to happen. We're never, I mean, I think if you stop focusing on self-improvement, if you stop focusing on a performance improvement, uh, you slide backwards. And, you know, those are the people that, um, that you see, and some of them are at the end of their career and they're like, you know, I'm done. And, you know, this is as good as it gets. Other people, move into that mode very early on, particularly people who were successful early on in their career. And they think what got them here is, is going to get them there. And, you know, a lot of times it doesn't. No, I think self-awareness is great. And I think the way you approach it is excellent. I think the other thing that it does, I'm sure you recognize it, but I'd like to recognize you for it. Change is constant. If you expect that nothing will change in any organization at any point in time, you're either asleep or have passed away. Um, and I think if you're self-aware, you're more prepared for change than most people because you know what you're capable of, you know what you need to do, you know what you wanna do better. And because you're self-aware, you can see, smell, sense change faster than most. Um, nobody predicted a pandemic. No one predicted losing a half a million American lives um, no one can predict the economy right now. It's very no. uncertain. So when you look at the, you know, University of Indiana, the Lilly Institute, and you're excited to see their reports on who's giving and what the trends are, 2020 is a mystery. And 2021 could include that mystery. So I think being self-aware really prepares you, I think, better than most um, to navigate those changes as they come. And unfortunately, we haven't seen the last of those changes uh, they will that's exactly right Brad. well and you know and that's why having you know for for nonprofit organizations having uh having well any business organization frankly having consultants having people like you uh out there brad who are helping their clients look around corners is so important uh and you know that. now more than ever i appreciate that so what is something you want to teach me um, so, uh, you know, uh, I, I could teach you to juggle, but I don't think that would really work on Zoom. I, I, you know, I guess I want to spend a second talking to you about the COVID vaccine, sure. uh, because I'm, I'm living this every day, and it is an enormous challenge, and the distribution of the COVID vaccine is particularly challenging in California, lots of states, but it's particularly challenging in California. Um, I, I, I guess I'd want to tell you three things or teach you three things. Number one, as soon as anyone can get the COVID vaccine, they should. 
And and when I say that I, that um, uh, there's there's two aspects of of what I just said. Number one is don't be hesitant. Don't be vaccine hesitant. Uh, right. uh, you know this is really important, and we're not going to be able to get out of this pandemic until as many people as possible are vaccinated. That's the first part of that. The second prong of that though is that I, I, I'm seeing and talking to a lot of people who are waiting either for the vaccine of their choice. So I want Pfizer, not Moderna, or I'm holding out for J&J or whatever it is. Right. And I think that's nutty. Just whatever vaccine you can get, you should get. Um, the other, the, the, the second part of that prong though is that people are holding out and wanting to be vaccinated by their trusted healthcare provider. So in Los Angeles, you've got a lot of people who are saying, I wanna wait for you guys at Cedars to vaccinate me. And I don't want to. I don't want to go to the forum or to Dodger Stadium or to a fire station to get it done. And the answer is, you know, we would love to be able to vaccinate all of our patients and as many people as we can, and we're working really hard to do that within the context of the limited supply that we're getting. But you know, there is there is no magic to where you get dosed, and you should be able to, you know, as soon as you can get vaccinated, you should go and do that. I mean, the simple example, my parents are very loyal Cedars-Sinai patients and have been for a long time. And they were initially holding out and saying, you know, we're waiting for Cedars-Sinai to call us. And I said, guys, you know, that could be a long time, you know, go get the vaccine. So, you know, they trudged down to a fire station and they got the vaccine. And, and, and so, so that's what I, what I would say about, about the vaccine. The second, the, the other thing that I would want to say about the, the vaccine is that, um, that I think people also, all of that notwithstanding of what I just said, notwithstanding, people also need to be patient and they need to understand that, you know, we are working through this evolving um, set of priorities that differs slightly state by state. But the reality is every state has set a different, uh, different uh, uh, list of, of prioritization for patients to be vaccinated. And I think people need to respect that and honor that. Uh, you know, there's a lot of system gaming that's going on out there. Uh, and I think that when, when that happens, it undermines confidence in the entire healthcare system Very and true. it exacerbates this growing tension in America about haves and have nots uh, and about privilege. Uh, and that is especially not good at a time like this. No, I, I appreciate that. And, and thank you for teaching me about that. My dad is 90 and he got his a set of vaccines um, he's mostly, you know, at home uh, with my brother, but in Washington state, whom I know <laughs> a little bit, right. Um, and in Washington state, if you're in a type of house where you have different generations, like my brother's age and my dad's age, different generations, you can get right. vaccinated. But in California, even if my brother is a quasi caregiver, if if you will, um, he's delayed right. getting a vaccine, but again, he stays safe um, and right. uh, he's very mindful of that. So thank you for that. This next question, I can imagine on any given day could take weeks to answer. So I just wanna keep it really like 30,000 feet for you because you're in charge of so much and you probably have key performance indicators in your brain 24 seven. But the question is important for all nonprofits. And the reason why we ask it is there's nonprofits that are program-based, but don't measure the efficacy of their program, their community impact. What's the knowledge gain? What's the knowledge transfer? So we wanna reinforce the importance of how do you measure success? 
Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, I think you're right that that's a graduate seminar in its own right. And that, you know, you can answer that at a personal level. You can answer that at a professional level. You can answer that quantitatively. You can answer that qualitatively. We are a very data-driven organization at Cedar sinai So there are lots of dashboards. And, you know, I look at dashboards all the time. In fact, I was in a, in a steering committee meeting yesterday as we're building a dashboard about for our organization about health equity, just one aspect of what we do, right? Sure. So, um, and, and that's, you know, the senior most executives in the organization are, are, as we would have said in the law, billing a lot of hours just on this question about dashboard design alone. So, so healthcare tends to be data-driven. Our organization in particular is data-driven. But the answer I would give you um, is maybe a little bit more qualitative than that. I would tell you that the theme that runs through kind of all of the, 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 the measurements that we do at Cedar sinai whether we're measuring fundraising success or health equity or, um, or patient throughput in the clinic uh, or hospital, the, the rate of hospital-acquired infections or whatever, whatever it is we're looking at, um, all of it is about, I think, three things. Number one, being unflinchingly honest. Uh, and that, you know, sometimes, you know, in an organization, you don't want to be unflinchingly honest because you can hurt somebody's feelings or, or you know, you can feel bad, whatever it is. So you got to be committed to the truth, committed to unflinching honesty. And that is much harder than it sounds in a lot of cases. Um, I think the, the second thing that you have to do is to be dynamic in what you're measuring, measuring and how you're measuring it. I'm not suggesting that you, um, you teach the test and that you, you, change, you change measures just to get a better result. Quite the opposite. I'm suggesting that what often you realize is the measures you've built, the metrics you, you've set and put in place, the dashboard you've built uh, might have been good at the time, but as you have evolved as an organization, as you've learned more, you need to change those measurements. And so, um, um, or how you're measuring them. So, so that, that second thing is flexibility. And I think the third thing um, that, that you need to have is a commitment to, to not only reviewing the data that you're measuring, and, um, but um, a real commitment to doing something about it. I can't tell you how many times I've been in conversations with people who have dashboards in front of them that they never log into and never look at, or even if they look at it, they don't, they don't do anything about it. And it's, 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 it's akin to, you know, driving with your engine check light on and not doing anything about it in my book. And, and so many executives do that. It's just kind of stunning to me. So, so, so those are the three elements that I think uh, you need to have in place. And I'm sorry, I gave you more of a, more of a, a philosophical answer to your, to your concrete good. question. First of all, it keeps your timetable because you're very busy. We don't want to take weeks away from you. Um, but at the same time, I think what you said is really important. Nonprofits need to have some data source, some collection of data um, that they can look at and say successful, not successful. And then to your point, what are we going to, even if everybody says you're okay, you're good, great program. There's a lot of good feelings there. What will you do with that information? Will you expand your program? Will you alter it? Will you, how are you going to get new participants? There's always things we can do with that data to drive the organization. And you, and like you said, with the engine light, I 
often say, don't fall asleep at the wheel. There's a lot of risk there. <laughs> Keep your eyes open, look at the situations and adjust accordingly. I, I think the, the car metaphor that you and I are torturing now is exactly apt and correct. Uh, and, and, and then the, I guess the other piece of it, and, and this is the other thing that I have colleagues who do this, it's a forest and trees phenomenon. So they're looking at a dashboard and they're looking at all these KPIs and they're never stepping back and asking themselves, okay, what's the, what does this tell me from a big pick from a meta perspective? Right. How, what's the meta story here? And so, so I think you need to be both things. I think you need to be as precise and as unflinching as you and I just talked about on the one hand. And on the other hand, you really have to, and, and that's, I think the role of a successful executive is to be able to zoom in and out of focus really nimbly many, many times throughout the day and to be able to, you know, in this example, step back and take a look at, okay, what is the story telling me about where we're headed as an organization? I think it's very important and a really good way to measure success. For the people that are listening, and, I, and this is a very broad question, so it can be about your leadership skills, it can be about your organization, it could be about managing others, which I think some nonprofits really struggle with. What do you want our listeners to understand about you or your organization? Um, you know, I, I think I've talked a lot about Cedar Sinai, and I think you know there's a lot that's you know that's available about Cedar Sinai by you know by by googling us. Uh, and so maybe I'll I'll, I'll just spend. I, it's funny. I I recently uh, talked to a class of of law students at my alma mater, uh, and and was asked. I don't know, some, some question that elicited the following response from me. And, uh, and, and I, after I said it, I realized, you know, I should tell people this more often because I, I don't spend a lot of time talking about it. Sure. Uh, I, I was a cancer patient at Cedar sinai 16 years ago. I am knock wood, fine and Wonderful. healthy today. Great. Uh, and all, all good. Thank you. Um, and, and, but, but what that um, helped me understand, particularly, I, I, you know, I, I was, I was a, a very young senior executive at the time and just been appointed to the oldest part of, of this job. Um, it, it, it not only allowed me to experience the organization as a patient, which was really a, a, an, interesting, a, an interesting thing to, 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 to be able to do, um, but it allowed me to, to, to put things in focus in my life that, you know, the way a cancer diagnosis often can uh, for, for people. And I told myself at the time that I wasn't going to let, uh, I, you know, God willing, I was going to live a long life and this was going to be in the rearview mirror and, sure. you know, and, and it was going to be, you know, kind of an afterthought. But, um, but I wasn't going to let the clarity that came with that diagnosis about priorities in my life, both personally and professionally, I wasn't going to let that clarity fade. Um, and I really have to say, I, I, I don't think I have all of these years later. And so while I don't recommend to your listeners that they go out and, and, and get cancer, uh, and I, I would say that I do recommend, going back to an earlier point, I do recommend introspection. I do recommend having a, having a core set of personal and professional values and priorities and, and, and staying true to them and not, um, not forgetting um, um, 
who you are and why you do what you do and why you do what you do is important. And revisiting that um, um, question um, and revisiting that analysis often and frequently. So, so that was, that's my piece of advice. And that's great wisdom. And I know from experience, um, it takes a lot of discipline to do that. And when you're scared or when there's an unknown that you just struggle with, get the help you need. So you can stay on course, you can focus your priorities. Um, and you've seemed to do that very successfully. So congratulations on that uh, and being cancer free. Which time is to say it, Brad. Yeah. Well, thank you. And, and, and I will say that, you know, to, to, to your point on the professional, that's why, again, that's why, you know, consultants and professionals like you exist is to be able to provide the help that, that, that organizations need to them and that perspective that you don't necessarily get when you're, when you're, when you're living that uh, in, uh, inside an organization every day. Um, For sure. So. For sure. It's great wisdom. So tell everyone how we can engage you and donate and support your organization. Oh, well, you're kind of asked. So um, Cedars, C-E-D-A-R-S uh, hyphen Sinai, S-I-N-A-I dot E-D uh, uh, dot E-D-U um, is the way to find us. Uh, and, uh, or you can just Google Cedar Sinai and, you know, uh, you will also discover, if you don't know our organization, you'll discover that we are known as the hospital of the stars. Um, and we don't hide from that. You know, we're, we're a lot more than that. And we serve a much broader community and, sure. and, and, but, you know, we're also proud of the fact that people can get care anywhere, uh, choose to get care at Cedar Sinai. And we also care for the poorest, and most vulnerable people in our, in our community and in our region. So. So, you know, uh, uh, one of the things that my team was responsible for is all the content on the website. So if you get there and you don't like it, blame me. Uh, and if you get there and you like it, um, uh, you can thank my team. Great. And there's donation information on there that they can- There is. Access. There is a big give, give now button um, up in the top right-hand corner. Terrific. Art, thank you so much for your time, um, your influence, your wisdom. Really appreciate it. Uh, again, this is the NEA podcast. Uh, with the Nonprofit Engagement Advisors. Thank you for listening, and we hope to uh, engage you very, very soon. Thank you. This has been the NEA Podcast, Intellectual Property of Nonprofit Engagement Advisors, LLC. All rights reserved. 2021.